When you need your work truck to work as hard as you do, trust Delphi Technologies to deliver the parts built for the toughest work environments. From construction sites to long distance hauling, go with the aftermarket supplier known for its 100 plus years of OE heritage and expertise. Go to DelphiAftermarket.com today. Hello everyone, it's Andrew Ross, host of the podcast. Now, anybody who's been following along with anything in the aftermarket these days knows that right to repair is a huge issue, both here in Canada and globally, and not just in the aftermarket. Anybody else who's also following knows that in Australia, they actually had a really big win finally getting right to repair uh, made a part of the law of the land in sense that the, the automakers now have to provide all that information on repairs and service uh, to the independent repair sector. We have some things going on in Canada here too. So with me today is Alana Baker. She is the Senior Director of Government Relations with AIA Canada uh, to talk to us about what we have going on right now in the country and uh, what you can do to help move the ball forward on right to repair. Welcome, Alana. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. Good, likewise. So, uh, so where are we at with right to repair in, in in the aftermarket in Canada right now? Sure. You know, as you as you pointed out, momentum for right to repair legislation is certainly growing, um, not only in Canada but around the world, as you pointed out. You know, our here here in Canada, our government has publicly stated their desire to address right to repair issues. Um, we've seen that directly in ministerial mandate letters. Um, and also by supporting private members' legis legislation, which they feel will address uh, right to repair across industries, uh, including automotive. I would also point out that there's, there's legislation coming forward from our government, which is designed to address uh, other issues that touch on right to repair. So specifically, you know, privacy and copyright reform, which we've now seen introduced, uh, as well as uh, expected amendments and a review of the Competition Act. Um, that's expected in the short term. I will note why I'm raising that is that these legislative items are viewed as necessary precursors to right to repair legislation. Um, but on, on the legislative side that relates more directly to right to repair, we did see two pieces of legislation, private members bills tabled early in the year, uh, which, were, which were certainly wins for our industry. And I would also point out that we submitted a petition to the government calling for swift action uh, to pass right to repair legislation here in Canada. We tripled the number of signatures required to have this presented uh, to the House. Uh, so with over 1,700 signatures, we were successful. This has now been presented to the House. It's been sponsored by MP Brian Massey, uh, and the government has 45 calendar days to respond. So that was one but small step. Uh, as I said, momentum is growing, but we still have a lot of work ahead of us. Sure. Let me ask you just a question here about the petitions, because, you know, in talking to folks in the industry for a long time, especially at the shop level, I mean, many of them have signed many petitions over the yeah. years on on right to repair and, and might feel a little bit. But, you know, what's different about the? I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but what's different about that petition versus all of these other petitions that, you know, we had 25,000, 30,000 yeah. signatures on. And, and like, why is that one different? It feels different. Sure. No, it's it's a very good question um, and a valid one at that because I agree. You know, there are, there have been a lot of other um, activities out there and petitions for sure. The difference with this petition is that it 
it demands a, a, a response from government. So it was presented in the House of Commons and the government now is mandated to respond to it. Um, you know, I think we're all used to some of the challenges that we see, but what happened was we did have a federal election um, last year, last summer, as you know. So some of that, you know, while we still have all of that great work that's been done on that previous petition, which is really good to show that, again, the momentum and the desire from Canadians to get something going, um, it didn't really, uh, it didn't demand the same type of response from government that this particular uh, petition does. So, which is why it was really important for us to get at least 500 signatures, which, as I said, we then tripled, um, so that we can get that response from government. So once we have that, um, we will then, you know, be able to respond, you know, directly to to their response, if you will, right, and say, look, this is what you're doing versus this is what you need to be doing. Um, you know, and go from there. So that's the difference with this particular petition. Right, right. Now, now, just again, you know, I don't, uh, you know, don't spend my time kind of, uh, in, you know, figuring out or trying to figure out what the kind of the enigmatic processes of Parliament are, but what, what form of response, if they're required to make a response, what form of response is sort of typical for this kind of uh, uh, thing? So there will be a written response. Sometimes they do actually, you know, there's a lot of petitions that, that are presented um, to the House daily. Um, and so it will be referenced, you know, directly in the in the answer. So the actual transcript of, of the House proceedings, um, a written response, you know, there could very well be um, a government representative who stands up in the House to, to mention that they have now tabled their response. But everybody who has signed the petition will actually get um, you know a notification okay. when that response has been has been tabled yeah so and you know of course we will we will share that as well sure would it be something along the lines of hey you know we're you know we're addressing the issue uh, we've got some legislation we're reviewing right now that's something along those lines or you know that would be I think you're bang on they're they're probably going to reference some of the which is a really good segue because they're likely going to reference some of the current pieces of legislation that have been uh, tabled in the House. Um, the problem with the legislation that we that we see in the House now is it doesn't go far enough. Right. So and, you know, and that gives us reason to say, you know, it's great. These are good steps that you're taking, but there's still um, there's still a lot of work to be done. So if I could just give you a little bit of context, we, yeah, we saw Bill C-231. Um, that was introduced by NDP MP Brian Massey um, early in, in February. That bill would amend the Competition Act to authorize um, the tribunal to make an order requiring a vehicle manufacturer to provide, you know, an independent vehicle repair provider with access to the, you know, to the diagnostic information, the repair information, um, as well as to parts and so on. Um, so that was uh, that was a good news bill. It's specific to the automotive sector, um, which, if passed, would establish some much-needed rights for vehicle owners across Canada. However, the reality is, with that bill, it, it has stalled. Um, MP Massey has had to turn his attention to to another piece of legislation that directly impacts his riding. Um, so while it's on the table, it's currently awaiting another sponsor in order for it to continue to move through the parliamentary process. But in parallel, we have Bill C-244. This is the other right to repair bill that was tabled again in February. It, it is progressing um, and it's currently at second reading in the House of Commons. This bill is the avenue by which government will be collecting feedback on the issue of right to repair. 
This bill is more broad. It's not specific to the automotive sector. It would amend the Copyright Act um, and allow for those who diagnose and, and maintain or repair a product um, to circumvent the technological protection measures. So while it's a step in, in the right direction, it, as I said, it does not go far enough. Um, because we know that you know, new vehicles are collecting data through vehicle telematics systems, they're transmitting this data wirelessly um, from the vehicle back to the manufacturers, we need to ensure that any right to repair legislation eliminates uh, manufacturers from circumventing the sharing of data through new digital locks, you know, requiring further technology to access vehicle data um, and creating new barriers um, to, for independent repair shops from competitively servicing connected vehicles. So the best way to achieve that is through parallel amendment to the Competition Act, like what we've seen in Brian Massey's private member's bill, which would address systemic issues around data ownership and allow our, you know, our small and medium-sized businesses to truly com uh, compete. Right. So it sounds like, like what, what, you know, from an aftermarket standpoint, what we'd like to see is this uh, legislation, I forget the number, still, that's still moving through, has gone to second reading with some of the previous right. uh, legislation tacked in there to, so the best of both worlds, uh, neither one is ideal for our industry anyway. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, but certainly the best of both worlds, exactly. I think we, we just have to remember that there are, and we've seen it, we've seen it in other jurisdictions. Um, you mentioned Australia, we, we know that there's progress being made um, in the US as well, but exactly, we need to make sure that they, you know, the, the, the key here is that um, we need to ensure that manufacturers are not able to circumvent the sharing of data, right? right? And it's right. not, that will not be achieved as the bill is currently uh, written. Right. Um, and we want to make sure that the bill achieves what it's intended to do. Otherwise, we have to start over from, from scratch. So um, amendments are, are what we are proposing um, to make sure that it makes sense for our, for our industry and for Canadians. Great. So closing the loopholes, as it were, and, and uh, ensuring that what we think we're getting is actually what we are getting, right? That's uh, right. Now, over the summer, uh, you know, the, a lot of the MPs will be in their ridings uh, and uh, available to the constituents um, to some degree yes. anyway. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, and this is a, this is I'm just going to kind of uh, uh, step out on a on a dock here for a moment and say that you know in my experience even though it might be intimidating for a lot of folks to go and address their local MPs I know for some people that's not it's uh, their neighbors and friends and whatnot um, they love hearing from you in the in the yes. they love it um, so if you are uh, bold enough to pick up the phone or walk down the street or knock on the constituency office or wherever your local MP is is uh, hanging out over the summer. Uh, what should we be telling them or asking them or saying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would say that, you know, I agree with you, you know, it, it, I've heard that before that they can feel a little bit intimidated um, when they're speaking to their to their local member of parliament or, you know, other um, uh, political decision makers. However, um, you know, this is all about grassroots advocacy. Um, and you're exactly right, you know, MPs want to hear directly from their constituents. They care about their constituents. They care about what's going on within their own community because ultimately you are the ones who are voting for them at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, they're just like, 
you know, having a, any kind of other normal conversation, you know, this is something that you're passionate about. You are the expert um, when you're communicating your concerns uh, to your member of parliament. You know more than they do about this particular issue. And you are able to provide tangible examples of what's, you know, what you're experiencing at the local level. So they do want to hear from you. Um, and that's why we've launched uh, a new microsite. It's uh, righttorepair.ca. This microsite houses all of the tools, the key messaging, the Q&As, the background information to help you uh, and, and our members and you know, everyone get the message across um, to members of parliament. You're right that they're, you know, they're in their writings for the summer. Now is a critical time to be heard on this issue and ensure that all political parties get behind this. And it won't be possible without the help of you know, everyone's help to, to get this across. Why it's so important is that when they come back to the House, um, House of Commons in the fall, they need to have, you know, have heard from as many people as possible that there is a problem to solve here. So if you visit that site, righttorepair.ca, you know, we've armed you with the tools and the messaging to really just to tell the story. How, you know, give tangible examples. How has this impacted your business? How has it impacted your employees and their jobs? Um, you know, how has it impacted consumers and their pocketbooks? What about access? Like all of these, these are all the things that the government cares about um, that Right to Repair touches on. Um, so what you can do, when you visit our website, you can send an email, you can um, give them a call, you can request a meeting, um, you can request them, invite them to tour your shop and show them what's happening on the ground, you know, at ground level. This is, you know, this is what we're seeing on a daily basis. Um, and ultimately tell them that Canadians care. We know that Canadians care about this issue. We talked about the petition, um, but we also know that research has shown that 83% of Canadians agree that automakers should be required by law to share data with, with independent auto repair shops. Um, this is a big issue that Canadians care about that we need everyone to, you know, we need them to stand up um, for consumer rights and for our industry. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, not, not to put too fine a point on this too, uh, or either, uh, but I do know, and we all should know and be aware of the fact that, uh, at least to some extent, automakers and the local car dealer networks, uh, are absolutely bending the ear of their local, uh, yeah. their local, uh, representatives as well, their local politicians, local, uh, you know, bureaucrats, whoever will listen, um, to, in a, attempt to kind of protect their turf here. Um, I've said as much in, in some uh, uh, my kind of uh, uh, commentaries that, that, you know, the aftermarket has a better argument here. Um, and right. and uh, we should make sure they hear it. Uh, is there anything that, I mean, you mentioned the, the, the you know, talking points uh, that the AI has pushed out. Is there any there that, that you think that, uh, you know, it's quite a long list. I've just looked at it. Uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff there to talk about. Not everybody is going to see all of those things or want to talk about all those things. Are there one or two things that uh, even if somebody doesn't have an opportunity to uh, to review that before they run into somebody on the street, it ha happens that they should really emphasize, uh, to, frankly, to anybody uh, <laughs> that they run into? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, you're right. There is a lot of information there. Um, but I think first and foremost, this is all about education. Um, and we cannot assume that um, anybody, frankly, but, you know, politicians or local MP even understand who you are or what you do or what the aftermarket is. Um, so it's really about educating them and making sure they understand how, you know, 
we are a vital part of the Canadian economy, right? Our industry employs nearly 500,000 Canadians. Um, we are the ones who ensure that the country's fleet of almost 26 million vehicles are running safely on Canada's roads. So that's the first piece that I would really, um, you know, pinpoint is make sure that we understand why you're so important um, in the community. And you talk about, you know, we, we talk about access, right? If, you know, without um, movement on this, on this issue from government, what's at stake? You know, is your shop at risk of closing? Absolutely. And then what happens, right? You're limiting choice and access um, for local individuals in your community um, who now have to, who now don't have access to, to their local shop that is perhaps down the road. Um, so that's the first point. The second point I would make is highlighting that vehicles today are now computers on wheels, right? So everything is now transmitted wirelessly. Um, it's not, you know, the traditional um, where we've seen, and you don't even have to get into the, you know, the, the nitty gritty details of it. But I think people can understand that um, in order to repair a vehicle in the past, technicians have accessed data by literally almost like, like plugging in a tool. Yeah. right into into a port you can give the example of a computer port or a usb port um but the greatest challenge we see now are what we as what we call the vehicle telematics systems those are now installed on new vehicles by auto manufacturers um, and that data is now transmitted directly from the vehicle to the back-end server that only the manufacturers have access to why this is important is that you know as part of the government's overall goal you know around evs for example they want more people to be getting into to electric vehicles and getting more electric vehicles on the roads, all of these new vehicles, it's gonna be more, we know that that traditional way of extracting information is no longer the only way to extract information. So we need to be a little bit forward thinking and forward looking um, when we're explaining this to parliament that um, we, we, you know, the current agreement that we have, it's not going to solve the problem for the vehicles of today and for the vehicles of the future. Um, so that's why we need this now to ensure that we are prepared. You know, we want to help you, government, achieve your goal of getting, you know, more of these new vehicles on the road. We need to be part of that part of that solution. Right, right. Yeah. And that uh, CASIS agreement, uh, Canadian Automotive Service Information Standard Agreement, is now 13 years old. Exactly. Uh, you know, the, the, the technology in vehicles today is, is, uh, wasn't even imagined uh, by most of us uh, at the time. That's right. I always say cases was not invented for a wireless world. That's right. right. We, That's a very we good need point. to adapt. And this is this is where we are. And absolutely. Are. This is where we are. Well, this is, you know, again, I think we've got some some good action items there for for uh, anybody working in the aftermarket. And frankly, their friends and family as well, in case you, uh, you know, armed come armed with uh, with your uh, your talking points and and how you know while the aftermarket is wonderfully capable of repairing vehicles efficiently and effectively today, uh, without uh, some significant protections on access to to the that repair information and data, that's not going to be the case down the road. Uh, and uh, there's some talking points there. Uh, talk to your MPs, write your MPs, email them, bang on their door. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it, you're exactly right. I mean, if that's the one takeaway I can you know, leave you with today is talk to your MP, visit our website. You know, we are here to help. Um, AIA Canada is absolutely here to help. Um, and you are your best advocate, right? You, you know this issue, like I said, better than anyone else. 
Um, and if I can give a tip, you know, when you're thinking about, you know, for those who may feel a little bit intimidated, start off with the question, with the key question to your MP, what was your first car? It's a really good icebreaker um, and just gets the conversation going. I mean, I think everyone has a story to tell about their first vehicle. Um, so that's, that's how I would start it. But absolutely, just we need as many people to talk to their MPs, make a lot of noise this summer so that in the fall, when we know the government's going to turn their attention to, back to this, um, they, are, they will know they have a problem to solve. That's excellent. Thank you, Alana. It's wonderful. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, we will put the links in the description for the podcast, uh, but it's uh, righttorepair.ca. should be pretty easy to remember, uh, even if you don't uh, have the link below, but we'll put it there anyway. Uh, thanks, Alana, for joining us today. Get out there, talk to your MPs, talk to your friends and family, tell them you're there for them today and you want to be there from, for them and their automotive repair needs down the road, and you're going to need a little help from the government to make that happen. Uh, hopefully, hopefully everybody has a great summer. Don't forget, you got a couple of jobs to do. Talk to your MPs, and uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, hear you next time, and see you next time on the podcast. Take care, everyone. You're listening to the Great Canadian Aftermarket. Pothole damage to a vehicle's chassis is always a concern, no matter the size or time of year. If the worst does happen, you can count on Delphi Technologies steering and suspension parts to get your customers back on the road again. Learn more at DelphiAftermarket.com.